Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. Welcome to another episode of Market Dominance Guys. In this third installment of our road trip visit series, we join Helen Finucci and the team at Branch 49 as they discuss trust building, gratitude, and top of the funnel strategies. Helen shares her experience with cold calls while using Connect and Sell, adjusting her approach to engage prospect effectively. Her customized calls to action cater to each prospect's unique needs, leading to successful completions, even when the prospect isn't the right person or ready for a meeting. The experts also explore the value of cold calls in generating website traffic, comparing it to targeted Google ads. The conversation emphasizes the power of trust in maintaining lasting relationships, highlighting that trust endures indefinitely, provided it's not undermined by sales pressure. Join them for this episode, boosting website traffic with cold calls. I love the concept of gratitude reciprocates. And we think of the same thing, that the fact that part of the challenge that we have and an agency model like us at Branch 49, right? But I think this is endemic to if you were a qualifier in SDR at Microsoft and you took that lead from that person and you threw it over the fence to your AE, right? They have the notes to read. And maybe they'll give you a call, Helen, tell me about this one. But most of the time that never happens. They're just going off of the notes and maybe they'll be intimidated by the title. Maybe they'll be surprised that you actually got a hold of so-and-so. Oh my gosh, this is great. And they're going to go through their own emotional machinations about how I should prepare and relax because now I'm going to be under pressure in this discovery call. And we always talked about, Chris, right, that the natural state of somebody in a cold call is fear. And the natural state, something you came up with right a few months ago, natural state of somebody in a discovery call is that one of apprehension because I'm about to get sold something and I'm not quite sure if they're going to use the Ivanov gambit opening move where they're going to use, right, the Belarusian gambit to come off from the, what are they going to do? But I know it's coming. It's interesting to diffuse that by saying, I know I'm an interruption, but with the saying, thank you. First off, before we get started here, I just want to thank you for talking with my colleague, Helen. Yeah. Right. So is that a hot tub epiphany as well? Because yeah. I really like that. I think that could be very powerful for starting a discovery. Yeah, I think it's a, be amazing a discovery. It'd be amazing for a follow-up call. It actually harmonizes follow-up calls and discovery calls, even though the follow-up call is always an ambush. Never forget on the other side, they've been ambushed. They're always in the same emotional state. I want to get off this call with my self-image intact. You have an animal in that state 100% of the time, unless you call me. In which case, I answer cold calls. Great. I have a cold call here. I get a chance to make a sales rep's day. It's not very many people. That's empirical evidence of what your cold call paper upper score is. It's pretty good. I have a score of my best phone number score is 94 out of 100. And I'm pretty busy most of the time. So that's pretty good. But you also ambush everybody or you boomerang everybody. I have been known to point out to cold callers that perhaps their job is harder than it needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> because sincerely, yeah. I do think their job is harder than it needs to be. I always ask, like, so uh, what'd you use to call me today? 
<laughs> I call this a honeypot strategy. It sits right there. It's my cell phone. But yeah, this is the kind of stuff when it comes to the top of the funnel, understanding is continuously evolving. Like we were talking earlier about, here's something you might not know about cold calls. When you cold call somebody or follow-up call them, doesn't make any difference. They will almost always go to the website of the company that you mentioned. Almost always. But what's that the equivalent of in the economy? Those are Google ads, right? Companies buy Google ads hoping somebody will click on them to go to their website. Well, you just got a more targeted person because they're on a list to go to the website. So you provided something of the equivalent value of a Google ad click for a highly targeted person just by having the conversation, even if it didn't lead to a meeting. So when we measure looking at opportunities and threading back to conversations that preceded them, we find that for every dollar that comes through setting meetings, $1.80 comes through the website just from the conversations. This is just being learned in the world right now. This is an example of something that folks are just figuring out. We call it an attribution report or an attribution interaction. And we see cases where for, say, I don't know, 250,000 conversations, and we have some customers who have that many, they might produce four or $500 million of pipeline. But if you go back to what came through the meetings, it might only be $100 million. So you look at that combination, you go, well, where'd all that extra money come from? Well, they come to the website. So can you amplify it further? Sure, send them an email that says, thank you for our conversation today. The only subject line in history that will be opened every single time, other than we're holding Jimmy hostage over that's That's a bad one, don't use that. I think people try to use that on me on occasion. About, there's one about alligators, doesn't work either. But think about that. You've done a targeted advertisement by simply having a conversation. Now, what's important about that advertisement? Trust. Trust. You have seven seconds to get trust. I was out with some IBM folks a couple of weeks ago in Atlanta. And I think I shocked the group by saying, you cannot actually fail in a cold call. If you have skill, you cannot fail. Because your goal is to get trust and you will get trust 100% of the time if you have skill and you apply your skill. That's the bar. It's trust. You win. Why? Because trust is durable. It's durable. Chris Voss, never split the difference guy, books right over there. I asked him at dinner one night, how long do we have to get trust in cold call? He says, seven seconds. I said, really? Our research says eight seconds. He said, your research is wrong. Seven seconds. Okay. What do we need to do in those seven seconds? He said, oh, that's easy. We just need to show the other person. We see the world through their eyes. And then we need to demonstrate to that person that we are competent. Listen carefully, competent to solve a problem they have right now. When he said right now, a little starburst went off my tiny brain. I said, well, right now, I'm a literalist. Like, it means right now. What problem do they have right now? Me. Can I solve the problem that is me? Yes, I am competent to solve that problem. I can go away. Wow, I'm in a really good position here. This is fantastic. I do those two things, I get trust. How long does the trust last? That's the next question I asked him. He said, forever, until you blow it. How do you blow it? So try to sell to them. Start selling to them, you'll blow the trust. That's that energy thing we're talking about. Put too much tension on the line, you'll break the line. So this stuff all goes together. Helen was experiencing it 
from the position being a vastly experienced salesperson and sales manager, but in this funny arena, the seven seconder, where the game is played very, very, very differently because the emotional stakes are so high for the other person. And it makes you nervous because you know you're the ambusher. You don't like it. It feels bad. I don't like doing this to somebody, but you have to know why you're doing it, by the way. I don't know if you guys all think about this. You need to set your mind in one place. I am only pushing this button for one reason, in hopes of helping somebody. What am I going to help them with? I'm going to help them go from whatever state they're in to a state of being more willing to learn about something that might possibly change their life. I know people think business to business products don't change people's lives. That is utter baloney. These are the products that change people's lives even more than any consumer product. The only thing that you can pitch that'll change your life more than that is, hey, want to get married? Right? That's a pretty good one. I got the energy wrong on that. Thank God I did it better the first time. What questions for Chris and Helen? Okay, so when you're on balls or off itself, yeah. did you get to the ending of your script or your screenplay? Yeah, so my intent was to set up a 15-minute call next week to get their feedback on the future of work and employee engagement. And that did not happen. However, it got navigated differently. So one woman, I'm not the right person. And so she's referencing me to other people. Another one was, well, you know, I don't really have time to do that. And I said, well, would you be interested in participating in an HR roundtable with your peers in a forum for us to talk about the future of work challenges and get feedback? Oh, yes, I'd like to do that. Can you send me an invitation? Yes, I will. So it just okay. kind of navigated that way. You got, I listened. She got, I don't know. She asked the person who was trying to push her off. She asked for the meeting. It was fantastic. He was on ice. He had no idea who he was dealing with. He could tell that because she didn't even say anything about, hi, I'm Helen Fnucci from Microsoft. I can almost feel his fingers clicking on LinkedIn. Like, how do you spell Fnucci? You know, who is this person? Because <laughs> he could tell he just I don't like this because I, I can't tell. This isn't somebody junior. And she didn't say what her title was or anything. And it put him in a fantastic place to stay engaged. It was that energy. He was going to tug, but he wasn't going to run. And finally, it was like, well, he wouldn't take the meeting, not immediately. And so then the conversation went a little further, but it did go all the way through the screenplay. You just didn't know it. I mean, I listened to it. You weren't, weren't thinking about in terms of where you were getting because this is technical cold calling stuff that weirdos like us think about. But you did get all the way through it. Okay, yeah. So he told me I should tell him my title after he gives me permission to tell him why I called. Okay, that I run customer success organization. I didn't think about that at the moment, but that was a learning. Yes, I had a couple different calls to action in mind. And so one of them was to see if he would be interested in this HR roundtable because we do these forums to build peer-to-peer connections and stuff. So I don't know the screenplay thing, but yeah, I had some ideas about where to take it and got there. So we like the, at branch, we like to call those completions. Okay. So if it's the wrong person, it's a completion because now they're out of the list, right? Yeah. They right. ask for an email, they're going in a bucket. 
So every time for us, we view those as wins, just like. Uh, yeah. Say. Yep. And then I have people on my team that actually follow up with the invitations and stuff like that. And then I include them on the follow-up email. It's a brief. And I say, if, if there's anything Angela or I can do, my person, anything we can do to for you and your team, just let us know. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. And we're back with Corey and Chris. Any idea the release date? Oh, yeah, we do have a new book. The book got released on Tuesday, actually. Tell them about the first ebook copy of it on Kindle on Monday night, I think it was, right? Was that Monday night? Not from the hot test. <laughs> that would have involved risk to electronic equipment. But the book is kind of unusual. Anybody wants to check out the book. The idea behind this book is that everybody's talking about AI, chat GPT in particular. And I just had a curious moment on a Friday two weeks ago where I said, I wonder if the work that we've done together on Market Dominance Guys, which was supposed to be a book, it was never supposed to be a podcast. So Corey just called me up once and said, I'm going to drag a book out of you. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to interview every Thursday morning for an hour and a half until we have enough material for a book. And we'll throw it to an editor and we'll get a book. And well, here we are three plus years later, almost four years later, and ain't no book, right? So it's like, okay, so what do they call that? Either delay or Frank failure. He's Frank, so we'll just call it delay. And I've taken three runs at the book, by the way. And I will admit, I'm not one of those people who gets stuck writing. Go read my blog sometime. I wrote all that crap. And so why wouldn't the book come out? And I thought, hey, maybe ChatGPT would like to write the book. So I just thought, well, let's give this a whirl. Let's take... 25 episodes of the podcast and see what ChatGPT has to say about them. So we'll have ChatGPT summarize them. So we just fed it the text, the transcript, said, you summarize. So it wrote its summaries. The summaries are a little soft, I would say. If you read them, you won't quite hear the edge that some people say they hear in the podcast. And these are the early episodes, which is Corey and me. So this is the book writing episodes, right? So they're even edgier because we're really getting into the stuff that other people don't believe, much less care to talk don't about. Don't make the spiders angry. Yeah, that's it's that kind. Right? So we're getting into the, the edgy stuff. So ChatGPT gave it a whirl, wrote some summaries, and then about each summary, I asked a single prompt. It's called prompt response kind of thing. And ChatGPT's job actually is just to keep putting one word after another based on sort of probabilistically what makes sense. It's a statistical AI package. If you want to read about it, Stephen Wolfram wrote a brilliant article that explains it in a way that every once in a while, you're going to want to skip some of the math, but it's still pretty compelling to read. So anyway, just gave it a whirl. My boundaries for the experiment were 6 a.m. Saturday morning until midnight Sunday night. That's all the time 
and I wanted it done in two days and to end. And so it was done. Most of my effort was copying and pasting, frankly. Getting the cover art from Dali, which is ChatGPT's artistic cousin, was not trivial. <laughs> so I, I, I'm down to 11 credits. <laughs> I've only got 11 prompts left before it cuts me off. And then I came up with the and one. Since it's so obvious on the books, what tell how many prompts it took to describe your co-host here. And well, here's here is the term you used. Here's what I asked for. I said I, I, I would like a book cover for a six inch by nine inch book done in a minimalist Madison Avenue advertising style that shows a now, this sounds pretty bad, guys, but I had to do this. A tall, brown-haired businessman and a stocky, dark-haired businessman. <laughs> Sorry, Corey. And a futuristic robot. Actually, the robot was the hardest part because it kept giving me robots that looked like they were out of the 50s with square heads and all this. I finally thought, how about futuristic robot having a conversation around a table? And it, it gives you three images, and one of them was just, boom, that's it. It's like, know it when you see it. So I snagged that one, sent it over to Susan. Susan did all the summarization work, by the way. And Austin, our podcast editor, was the one that kind of got her started doing stuff with, with ChatGPT. My conclusion from all of this is that what's really interesting is not what comes out of ChatGPT when you start, but what it will learn if you tell it new stuff. So when we started, it thought Market Dominance Guys was a podcast by Nathan Latka. Now, Nathan Latka is a fantastic guy. He's out there doing great things. And we would love our podcast to be as popular as his. But in fact, Market Dominance Guys are a podcast. And so I simply said to ChatGPT, actually, Market Dominance Guys is a podcast with co-hosts, Marty Frank, Chris Beal, that explores blah, blah, blah. And ChatGPT said, oh, I apologize for my error before. And then it explained to me what I just explained. Yeah. So it does tend to talk a little nice. It's, it's, uh, it started adding a, a paragraph of uh, caution now. That's a new feature I've noticed that no matter what you ask it, after it does the, I don't really know very much about this. And then it tells you a bunch of stuff. And then it says, and, but don't be so certain of this. You should check it out yourself. It has a tendency to embellish. I, I, have, I have a degree from Stanford, apparently, which I have since corrected and let it know that I, my degree is actually from Arizona State University of Physics and Education. ChatGPT said, I'm trying very hard not to be disappointed to find out that Chris Beal doesn't have an electrical engineering degree from Stanford. No, it didn't say that. So anyway, the book is out in ebook form in Kindle, supposedly coming out in paperback and hardcover. It is not one one hundredth as important as Helen Panucci's book, Love Your Team, which is eternal. But it was a good experiment. And I learned a lot. I, I'm still learning about prompt engineering. Very senior Microsoft person, when I described what I was doing, said, don't ever say that again. Use the phrase prompt engineering. I said, aye, aye, sir. <laughs> it's prompt engineering is the new software development. And uh, you might have noticed Microsoft made a little bet on this about $10 billion three weeks ago. Uh, I'm going to make a prediction right here on the podcast that that bet will turn out to be 
one of the smartest things anybody has ever done in the history of business. This is quite remarkable. I mean, folks are using this technology to write protein sequences for novel proteins that kill bacteria because they just use the ones you already have and use them like a book, a little story. I have three applications that are in my head right now for using it to write stories about things like, well, what kind of people buy what kind of products, for instance, or uh, who should you maybe talk to next? There's some stuff you can imagine with ChatGPT's thing is next, 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 next. There's a lot of problems that you can solve by saying, I know this much so far, what's next? And that's how it works. So I highly recommend get yourself one, buy the Pro Edition, because you can do more with it. It's cheap. And OpenAI, you can thank me for it. You don't need any help from me anymore. But yeah, so try, to, try to read the book. The book will be like the podcast, but you'll keep going. Like, I thought those guys were a little a little harder edge than that. It's like, thanks, ChatGPT. You made it sound like nice dudes. We'll have it like the Narnia series. We'll increasingly get more and more tension as a story. <laughs> <laughs> as the lion gets more bangs. Yes. It's It'll be the uh, unabridged version. Yeah, the unabridged version. Well, we have, let's see, we have 150 more episodes that we can do this. So there's plenty of material for us. And about 200,000 words in the transcriptions thus far. Is that all? Yes. Oh. Well, probably more since we talked last time. Yeah, there are more coming out right now. Right. So, any other questions for our guests here this afternoon? Where's the best place to find your book? Well, I have a box of books to give to everybody here. And I'm happy. <laughs> But uh, Amazon.com is uh, where people are buying the book. It's also an audiobook format, but I'm happy to sign a book for all of you. The audiobook is awesome, by the way. There's auditions, and we picked a, a great narrator. So, um, And coincidentally, she happens to live about five miles from uh, my condo in West Seattle. So that was completely a coincidence. And our, our book, by the way, our book, Corey, Myself, Susan, and ChatGPT. The book is entitled Market Dominance, A Conversation with ChatGPT. And we will have it read by a robot on the ChatGPT <laughs> side. And since I asked the questions, I'll provide the voice of the, of the prompts. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Helen and Chris, for visiting. Thank you, Helen, for using Connect and Sell. It only took almost four years. <laughs>idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's Modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Mm-hmm.